So, hey everyone out there, uh, it's a new episode for our podcast, both for Tarantulas, normally with Kat and myself, but today we have a special guest on the podcast, our first guest, and uh, some of you might know him already, he's running a YouTube channel for a very long time, and uh, yeah, maybe just give the words to him for a short introduction Okay. Hi. Thank you, Martin and Kat, for having me on the podcast. It's, it's a real pleasure. My name is Dion, and some of you may, I guess, recognize me as, uh, or know me as Reptiliatus on YouTube and a few other social media platforms. Um, where to start? Yeah, I guess um, I've been keeping and breeding tarantulas. It's hard to believe now for the better part of, I would say, almost almost 12 years. And, um, yeah, they're just incredibly fascinating animals. I could easily digress and start talking about how I got into the hobby and all sorts of things, but I used to actually be afraid of spiders. And it was through my desire to overcome that fear that I purchased my first tarantula, which at the time was a small little Gramostola rosea red color form. And then, of course, when I learned how slow those grow, I had to get a second one, and it sort of snowballed into a passion and fascination over a fear. So I'm very glad that that worked out for me. <laughs> but here I am today. So they brought a podcast uh, today, not a podcast, but the podcast idea and the topic on what we're going to talk about. And it's quite a fascinating one. So maybe let's give the word to Kat, uh, because she's also present. Hey, hello. Um, Diane, I think since it is your idea... <laughs> You should talk about it. But from what I understand, we are going to talk about how you can control your tarantula's growth rate by temperature and feeding, which is a little bit more of a unique feature that you don't see often in pets. So, yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I think I thought when we, so the three of us were discussing different topics we could um, bring up and share over the podcast. And one of the things that came to mind was just how unique or interesting or sort of exclusive to invertebrates it is that you can truly control the growth rate of these animals so we thought i might discuss it i mean not necessarily the ethics behind it like the, the animals have been i guess how do i say it's a very interesting topic since it's also going into the field of the whole power feeding stuff like Exactly. Yeah, to, to, to grow your tarantula at a very quick rate to, to your huge uh, tarantula monster, some of, one, some of us really wants to keep. So quite an interesting topic. And I think all of us have made some experience uh, with these differences, especially with different um, climate zones we are in, right? So where are you based, Dion? Yeah, for sure. I agree. So I myself am based in Ontario, Canada. So... I mean, we experienced some very cold winters. Uh, for those of you that use centigrade, it'd be sometimes as low as minus 30 degrees in the winter with a wind chill factor. So that can last sometimes at least upwards of five months before it starts to warm up again. And then we have a few great months of summer. But uh, mm. I guess the reflection of that in terms of keeping the animals is that yeah, in the winter, sometimes you add a little bit of supplemental heating to the um, room for ambient temperature. But I think most Canadian keepers can say, unless they're they're um, unless they're increasing the temperature in their tea room, 
uh, winter temperatures can drop into the high 60s Fahrenheit, which really isn't the end of the world at all, but it adds a gradient. And then naturally, you can experience some um, slowing down in the growth rate of your animals. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting topic because you don't really see it anywhere else. Sure, with some reptiles, I guess you can um, feed them more regularly and it, it, it speeds up their growth rate a bit. But with arachnids or invertebrates at large, even, you really can control the growth rate of these animals. And I suppose Mother Nature has a way of making certain animals mature more quickly. I know that with uh, mantids and some other insects, for example, there are fewer instars to reach maturity for male animals and females, and it sort of prevents inbreeding and other factors. But regardless of that, hobbyists can literally control the rate of growth through temperature, and it seems to have no ill effect to the animal. I mean, this is something that people have been practicing for well, I mean, I know I've been in the hobby for at least a decade and doing it myself. So I would say at least yeah. 20 to 30 years, probably. Yeah, um, and food has an impact on that, too. And there's many different applications or reasons for doing that. So um, mm -hmm. we can discuss it further and share ideas. Awesome. If you've ever had a sling that's already a slow grower and then you um, kind of feed it maybe like once every two weeks or so, it's kind of interesting how long you'll really have a sling where I know like other sack mates are already in the juvenile stage, but I still have my sling over here because I wasn't feeding it as much. And I kind of wonder if part of the reason is because like in nature, we know that tarantulas will mate with their sack mates. And I wonder if that's like part of the reason why like they have that ability is to carry on within the same sack more tarantulas does that make sense wait do they mate with their sack mates i was under the impression yeah. that it depends never... on the species though doesn't it yeah i think it really depends on the species but most of the tarantulas will basically mold at around the same mold uh, or, or, or stage Hmm. Um, to maturity and the males are usually a little bit earlier but it's hard to like say generalize it i think there's not much study going on yeah. <clears throat> ecologically in 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 wild tarantulas on on how they actually breed uh, with each other's or with sack mates but it's quite possible that a lot of them because they're in a small um area that they will eventually find uh, sack mates for sure and hmm. It also does not have, at least for most species, not any negative impact that we inbreed. Most of the tarantula species we have, um, like the Pizzolotteria genus, for like a very long time in the hobby without fresh material from uh, the wild. And it still works on like with reptiles and mammals. So that's certainly not a problem when they in the wild uh, breed with with sack mates i think and you also will think about like m balfouri communals you know that a lot of people will have like 10 slings and put them together and then they'll yep. grow together and you'll i didn't even realize this but people still do get sacks in that once the yeah. males mature which sure. i found really interesting because i mean i guess it's not that interesting but a little bit surprising that they still will mate after being in such a small confined area for 
years. Yeah. Because I had heard from, I remember there was a poster form. Someone was saying that the males and females from the same sack mate, when you create a communal, won't necessarily mate. You actually have to introduce a new male to the communal to reproduce with the female. But I don't know if that's, maybe that's not that's true. What, that's what I initially thought until... Yeah. Um, I actually learned of people getting sacks in their in oh, really? communities. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I've done for years. Like the Balfouri, they're all from the same sack, and I've never introduced any new specimens, and they still reproduce. Oh, that's amazing, uh, man! So okay. it's it's from sack mates, and it's basically also when you have certain species, you know that you're the only one who has basically specimens off because you maybe just bred them off a yeah wild caught couple and you just have like 15 spiderlings they're all sack mates and you will breed with the sack mates uh, for the next offspring yeah no no i definitely agree that people are i guess for lack of a better term inbreeding the the siblings and everything and there's no adverse effects but for some reason i thought i had read in a few places there are a few strange circumstances that like Maybe the animals were less receptive to mate with each other when they were, say, a communal of Balfouri that are maturing around the same time and it's better to add a new male. But that's very neat mm. to know that you've personally experienced otherwise. Yeah. And then uh, I guess my thinking was with the wild tarantulas, I, I imagine that some of the males would mature more quickly and that would sort of naturally prevent inbreeding in the wild situation. But obviously in captivity yeah and we have smaller gene pools and it's definitely not having any negative effects thus far thank goodness mm. yeah. yeah but it's very neat just a short question do you hear the bells from the church <laughs> yeah <I do. laughs> it's okay it's okay it's a nice it, little sound effect yeah. oh, if only it were louder it would uh muffle out the crickets with mine <laughs> So do you personally believe in um, power feeding? Uh, like, have you done it? Um, what What was the effect of it? 100% I have. Um, I have addressed this very, I guess, briefly on my channel too. And um, I guess I'll say first, yes, I've done it. And usually the main purpose I will power feed is an effort to grow a male more quickly to attain maturity so that I can pair that individual up with a mature female I have. So it's kind of just trying to speed that process up so that I can breed that species. That That's really the, the main reason I ever power feed. Um, or if there's an animal that is a bit more delicate, like I like to get slings out of a fragile, I guess, state. Uh, mm -hmm. When they're a bit younger, you know, you just want to get them to a more hardy size. I think that it can be beneficial to feed them generously while they're young to promote, um, I guess, ecdysis and just get them to molt right away and and, and grow to a, a larger yeah. size where they're more hardy. I mean, there's really only one con I can think of, but I, yeah. we, whether we want to touch that touch on that now sure. or if you want to share your experience first yeah martin like, what probably, do you do probably the same almost the same experience it's like i normally just keep all my spiders the same especially the slings just in the yeah stacked uh, containers but they're all at the same temperature more or less the ones higher up have a little bit higher temperature of course but uh, it's all in the same room but uh, when there are certain projects or as dayan said like when there's 
yeah, one male needed and you have matured female um, already, then you just need to get the male a little bit faster and, uh, yeah, to maturity. And that's certainly something I did before and I still do. And I also have special boxes prepared for spiderlings of uh, tarantula species which might be a little bit more prone to humidity or temperature changes so in them i can actually control the whole environment a little bit better throughout the whole year and yeah some of them will reside quite some time in there just that it's a more controlled environment it's not necessarily power feeding but i can keep them at the i would say a little bit higher temperature than the whole room is uh, climated at and uh, yeah it gives me a bit more security for for those specimens you know that there are not many in the hobby and you really don't want to lose because yeah then there would be another need to get new ones from the wild somewhere and then yeah it's a whole nother issue so i'll just make sure that the ones who are already in the pet hobby that they make it uh, until maturity and then hopefully produce an XX somewhere. What are your, your experiences, <coughs> Did you do it before or did you have the necessity to use power feeding? So I don't necessarily power feed, um, but what I do when I get a sling that's like exceptionally small and fragile, I normally will feed it more frequently just to get it up to about an inch. And then once we get to like an inch or so, that's when I'll start slowing it down because I personally don't mind keeping a tarantula small for a longer period of time. <laughs> and generally, I mean, they, you know, it will live longer because it'll grow slower and I'm okay with, with that once it gets to that point. But like my carabina Leda, I think is how you say it. I've had that sling for like a, a year now and she's still mm. tiny but I feed her more frequently than my other slings. So I don't feel like it's like totally foolproof, but I, I would hate to see how small she would still be if I didn't try that. And then as for mature males, <laughs> if I want to keep a mature male around longer, which generally I do, I'll feed them a lot less often than the female. But other than that, I don't really do anything. Like I usually just feed them all the same yeah. Unless they're smaller or a mature male, then I will feed them more if they're yeah. smaller or less if they're a mature male. Yeah, I really think it's more something people use in the hobby who are more into breeding or have different projects where they try to like match the different specimens to each other. Um, but if you don't have that need or that yeah problem, I would say, then there's really no need. I, I fully agree on that. Yeah, some people also just are anxiously excited to get this large spider in their collection too like they just can't wait to have that whatever two centimeter sling become an eight inch large spider and so i mean i can understand that that to an extent as well but i sort of personally lean towards what cat was saying is that i'd, I'd much rather enjoy um keeping an animal that will live a lot longer mm. by by um, a sort of replicating a more natural, I guess, rate of feeding for the animal. Although it's hard to say because really that's, I think, one of the things that when it comes down to uh, the sort of controversy controversies of power feeding is um, people think, okay, is it unnatural for the animal to be eating as frequently? But I think you have to also consider depending where the animal is, 
it may have found a good spot where prey is accessible. And you see this even in true spiders. If, you know, the animal has, has made a web next to a lamp, uh, yep. at night all the prey flies to it, that spider is several times larger than the ones that are in the corner mm. of a windowsill, right? So is it really unnatural? No, but you're controlling the rate of growth. And I think the only negative consequence per se would be that the animal most likely will live less long because it reached maturity more quickly through that process. So that's really, you just have to understand that that's the consequence, especially if it's a male. But I mean, your purpose with the male is to to reproduce it. So, um, or for reproducing or breeding. So you, that's, you just want to get to that point. Yeah, depending on the tarantula species and also their climate they mm-hmm. will have seasons or whole months where there's a huge uh, vast yeah option to to get some food mm-hmm. and uh, not just cockroaches but also small amphibians and reptiles and that's another whole yeah uh, nutrition part which also i think positively how would you say that in english like it will certainly benefit the spider when they not only eat crickets or cockroaches and uh there are different proteins which affect their growth uh, for a certain extent, for sure. And I'll, I will not say it's 100%, but I'm pretty sure I've read a study regarding uh, wandering spiders from the Tenida family that they mm-hmm. prey on other spiders. And when they do that, they grow significantly larger um, to the ones who are not preying on other spiders. So I'm not sure <clears throat> how well studied this is, um, but... Uh, yeah, I can certainly see that it has a great impact of what you're eating. Then it depends on how small or how fast you grow to to a bigger size. I think tarantulas also, like, I think overfeeding is a little overhyped personally, though, because at least in my experience, if a tarantula doesn't want to eat, it's not going to eat. So while you can probably make them a little obese and... There are rumors it can affect um, molting and stuff like that. I'm not sure about that. But generally, I've just always noticed my tarantulas won't eat if they're not hungry. Yeah. I think it's also on the environment. Like That's how are the humidity level and temperature? Yeah. So I, I agree with what you, Kat was saying also. Like, it's true that, I mean, the animals, I guess, has evolved to just survive and take every opportunity to feed Um I think the only thing you also have to consider and that I forgot to touch on in the captive um, captivity in that setting. So, I mean, many tarantulas probably in the wild live in a more, I mean, it really depends how you're keeping them, I should say, but um, many wild tarantulas will live in a, you know, a burrow or some sort of secure environment. So an animal that's eaten a, a large amount of prey and has a very large more delicate abdomen in that sort of environment is, is probably a lot safer than one that maybe has less substrate and can roam around on the surface and, and has the ability to climb glass and fall and injure itself. So I think the only other adverse effect to power feeding is that the animals often will consume enough prey that their abdomen becomes large enough that it's sort of a danger to them. If, if that's a, it's probably also something to consider. You mean like when they're falling down? 
from somewhere. Yeah, like the height of the enclosure or exactly, they become a lot more delicate. I mean, I've seen some animals like in videos and things that were so overfed, like arboreal species that they're they're walking sideways along the enclosure and their abdomen is actually like slouched sideways, (laughs) like the pull, and that that can't be healthy for the animal, right? No, I agree. There, that's that that is true, and I've also heard vendors like say they don't want to like obviously you want a a spider to be fed at least you know shortly before it goes out for shipping but i've also seen vendors say you know you don't want to ship an obese spider and some of them straight up won't even ship a an adult that's really bulky like a t-stermy adult female or something they don't want to ship it because it's so Mm. dangerous Mm. for their abdomen to go through that process no matter how well you pack it yeah. And then there's also the risk of it molting in transit, right? Oh, that's true. Yep. I mean, that sometimes works out. I've seen some pretty crazy molts. I've seen slings molt yep. in this, like in straws somehow. So, you know, <laughs> in red. The smaller, the better. Yeah. yeah. But the big yeah. ones. Yeah. True. If you also think about it, though, something I have noticed a lot of people in like groups, I guess, on Facebook and stuff, if you post an obese spider, sometimes I feel like it's not your fault because a tarantula will get so large and pre-molt that hasn't even eaten in like months and it'll just look obese and it'll be huge and everybody will comment, you know, shaming them for overfeeding. And I I don't know if you've ever had like a sea darlingy, like a heavy pre-molt, their abdomen just like gets so long (laughs) and big and it looks like they're obese, but really they haven't eaten. Yeah. I mean, I have a few ceratogyas that kind of look like that as well. I I received um, um, Carabina Versicolor uh, from a friend who's so generous uh, that it was gifted to me. And the animal had a very large abdomen. And truth be told, I actually like I've I think I've fed the animal twice since February because I just wanted to molt. I make sure it has fresh water. Mm. But this thing like the, the, the abdomen must be at least three times the size of the carapace. And it's a I would say a just about adult female but it's a very large animal mm-hmm. um and it, i mean it's fine but in the my thinking is that just it doesn't need to eat it really doesn't like there's no yeah. reason that animal should be eating uh i mean i feed it once the, the the two feedings really sparingly like once a month just to make sure it has some nourishment but it doesn't really need it honestly that's just for me to have a peace of mind to know that i'm not starving the animal but uh mm-hmm. yeah she still hasn't molted since i received her but yeah, some of these animals, they, and I mean, that's an interesting thing you say too, like an obese, what defines an obese tarantula, you know? Well, no, I mean, if they're willing to eat that much and they themselves stop when, you know, they're approaching pre-molt, mm-hmm. besides that state of fragility, what what defines that the animal, like, we is this something we know enough about yet? Is there a consequence for them eating this much? I, I too, have heard rumors about, like, um, obesity and, and then maybe this power feeding routine can cause mismolting or something like that. But it really just sounds like hearsay to me, uh, to my knowledge. I mean, I need to look further. Maybe there's some study on it, but I don't believe so. So I don't know, like... It's easy to, to to power feed an animal when everyone else is doing it and then think if it mismolts, it's because of overfeeding. And then you spread that rumor around and everyone sure. thinks that, right? Yeah, I think it also has a lot to do with the whole temperature and humidity stuff and maybe also with the Absolutely. time within the whole year and the whole circle. So like when the tarantula molts and you feed them straight 
give them a whole lot of more food than she usually gets and then her abdomen gets really big. She needs a lot more time so that she will molt again, especially when you do not raise the temperature in any ways because mm -hmm. she's still in the same cycle. And I think a lot of the obese tarantulas are from people who are just like feeding their tarantulas, but at the same time, maybe keep them at room temperature, which is totally fine. But the tarantula will eat as yeah, long she is hungry and will just stop when she's no longer hungry but then you'll end up with an obese tarantula and because of maybe the lower temperature you have all year around it could certainly take a long time until the obese tarantula like molts and is probably still a little bit obese so yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's a hard topic and uh, i think power feeding i see a lot of people doing when they're breeding but these are keeping them at higher temperatures and uh, just try to grow them quickly as possible and they really control the whole environment so <laughs> it's probably a little bit different than someone who has like three or four tarantulas in the living room at room temperature and just feeds them a lot of crickets it's like they have a different mm -hmm. different cycle probably no that's a really important a really important uh, point to make and i guess it touches on the connected topic of temperature and how that affects their growth but yeah it's 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 really it's interesting to discuss but it's sort of besides experience and what it tells us there isn't a lot of academic or, or information or study out there to to learn from so it's it's, it's interesting it's so fascinating yeah it is well i'm getting eaten by mosquitoes <laughs> <laughs> Do you have um, any mosquito-carried diseases there? Uh, nope. Uh, no, we have West Nile here. I get so paranoid every time I get bit by one. Uh, we have from ticks, like the small arachnids. These ones carry yeah. some diseases. So yeah, but we the have, mosquitoes are fine. We have ticks as well, but yeah, not same. very many. But yeah, interesting topic, Diane. I think um, there is a lot more to unpack there than originally thought so it's good that kind of took up the one topic took up the whole podcast I, I feel like um is there anything else you guys want to add I mean I don't know if it's worth mentioning well I guess it, we've kind of touched on it but temperature I guess yeah mm. really it's I guess the same sort of thing um maybe different applications so people might choose to cool males if their females aren't ready. And, mm -hmm. and I find that temperature in particular, like as much as, um, as much as power feeding can really affect the growth rate, just as Martin was saying, you can have an animal that stays very large and doesn't molt because that's controlled by the temperature. So it has a lot of, um, power i suppose in terms of that process like i personally have been able to uh, really slow down two siblings like i wanted to try and grow i had i had two um chromatopelmasae neopubescence and um i knew for a fact i had molt sex them that one was male and one was female and i was truly able to slow that male down uh, just by keeping him on a lower shelf and then adding a bit of supplemental heat to the area where the female was. And they were a few, the females a few molts ahead of the male. And um, it's really interesting that you can do that sort of thing as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. 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 Generally, the power, maybe it's the wrong word, but on how you keep these invertebrates, it's like really fascinating. One side with the growth rate of 
like feeding them at different circles and also, of course, the temperature, but also the enclosure size affects them greatly. Exactly. It's yeah. amazing yeah. how unintentional or <laughs> intentional you can uh, define the look of your tarantula in terms of, uh, of course, size, but also on how fast they get to that size. And uh, that's probably a whole nother top podcast yeah. topic, but it's fascinating and it's in the same in the same genre. Yeah, it crossed my mind because I was so worried about the timing, but I really wanted to say like it that too has a huge effect. Like I've mm. um I've had two slings that were siblings and one of them I just kind of waited to put in a larger enclosure and it was ridiculous how much bigger the uh the sibling that was put in a larger enclosure was compared to that one and they're the same from the same sack yeah. so it really has an effect as well bigger the better that's a whole podcast in and of itself <laughs> yeah <laughs> awesome but it worked out well yes. yeah podcast is still because i'm in the forest it's not maybe the best but the <laughs> ambient noises are not that bad but uh yeah yeah no it's a very interesting topic and um I'd definitely like to thank you guys for having me on. It's, it's an interesting opportunity to discuss a really neat topic. There. Thank you for joining us. I'm so happy you did. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> it was really nice to get to know you. Ha ha ha. Yeah, it was nice uh, on my end because you guys know each other for years. So just that you all out there heard that again. <laughs> it was a pleasure to chat with you, Martin. It's nice. Thanks. Hopefully once um, things clear up, maybe we can all meet each other in, in person. In Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no tarantulas here. Are they going to let anyway. me in though? <laughs> yeah. Not for a few yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> They're neutral, but not right now. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I'm so I, I have to admit, and I'm mean, cut this out obviously, but I don't want to have the part where I question siblings mating with each other. Why? <laughs> no, it's fine. But honestly, like I remember, I always thought they could. Like obviously, I'm, I'm. I was being specific to those few examples. Just that I don't know where it was. I think it was just on one of the Facebook groups. People were saying that they they wouldn't. They were reluctant to mate with each other like that if you had males from the same sack like in a communal that were raised together they wouldn't mate and you should add a separate male and i thought that was so weird but people it, were making it seem factual no yeah. but i mean it we learn things and things change so i mean it yeah. doesn't mean you were wrong no but the irony is that i read this recently like i oh. assumed otherwise up until recently and i was like oh. it, it could just be old information though i mean i'm sure there's a lot of people that think that so yeah. i mean you know i'm wrong all the time i'm probably oh, no. like <laughs> i'm probably wrong more often than i'm right so uh well that's how we learn and i'm the same clearly that's good. But yeah, so thank you for, for joining us. Thank you, Martin, for getting eaten alive by mosquitoes while we recorded this. And yeah, it, anything else to add, anybody? Happy, happy tarantula keeping. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. And as always, we're uh, open to any feedback, any questions. I think Martin uh, it can't. How do you, how would they get questions to us again? You want to remind people? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so there will be an option to, like, send us voice messages through the Anchor app. But, of course, also via direct 
DM to Kat on Instagram oh, <laughs> or no. on my end. So we'll get all the questions in for the podcast and uh, maybe also some ideas on other guests to invite. I think Diane will not be here the last time, but uh, maybe there are other ideas too. So we can spice yeah. up the podcast besides our two voices all the time. And uh, yeah, thanks again for uh, listening.